readers, and welcome to episode two of Lost the Plot, Lost Media's monthly podcast all about books. I'm your host, Harrod, and today we're going to be talking all about time travel. But first, book news. So right off the top is the fantastic news about the Books for the World campaign to help our friends at Sekolah Gunung Merapi in Indonesia to get books and school repairs to their school in a village that was destroyed by volcanic eruptions. Books for the World has already surpassed its goal. The campaign will be live for a couple more weeks, so if you're still interested in getting involved, and there are plenty of great perks, people, check it out in the links below. So even though he's been dead for a while, 400 years to be exact, there was a lot of Shakespearean news going on in April. To celebrate the 400 years since the great playwright's demise, Goodreads had a heap of stuff going on during Shakespeare week, including getting writers such as Margaret Atwood, Jasper Ford, and four others to write a deleted scene from one of the Bard's plays. There was heaps of other stuff going on as well, so check out the links below if you want to have a look. But that wasn't all for Shakespeare. A super rare first edition of his collected works was discovered in a Victorian Gothic mansion on the Isle of Bute, an island just off the coast of Scotland. It was apparently published seven years after Shakespeare died and is in a set of three leather-bound volumes separated into comedies, histories, and tragedies. It's estimated to be worth between $3.7 and $4.7 million. Imagine finding that in your house. You can read more about all that in the links below. So there's quite a lot going on in the world of film adaptations. Neil Gaiman's confirmed that his book Good Omens, co-written by the late Terry Pratchett, is going to be adapted into a TV series. Way more exciting for me, though, is the news that Netflix is doing a reboot of my absolute favorite book, Watership Down. I remember seeing the 1970s version when I was a kid, and although I wasn't traumatized like I hear many kids were... I was pretty disappointed with the adaptation and felt that it really didn't capture the depth or the nuance of the book itself. The Netflix series is apparently going to be in four parts and in 3D animation. I'm super excited to see what they managed to come up with and how it holds up against the now 40-year-old 2D animated film as well as the original book. There are also a lot of book awards coming up soon. In particular are the Nebula Awards, given to the best science fiction and fantasy published in the US the previous year, which are being awarded on the 14th of May, so that's like tomorrow. The Man Booker International Prize is going to be announced on the 16th of May. The 2016 Pulitzer Prize has just been awarded to the novel The Sympathizer by Viet Tan Nguyen. Apologies for my pronunciation. Uh, there are heaps more awards coming up later this year, so stay tuned. There have been some pretty interesting developments in upcoming book releases as well. There are wild rumours flying around about George R.R. R. Martin's next instalment in his Song of Ice and Fire series, uh, titled The Winds of Winter. Some people are suggesting that there might be a surprise May release. He's actually already released a preview chapter on his website, but I will believe that when I see it. Neil Gaiman's trying his hand at non-fiction, and his book The View from the Cheap Seats, a collection of essays on a jumble of topics, will be out at the end of May. It's also been announced that the screenplay to J.K. Rowling's upcoming film Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them is going to be released in print form around mid-November. Uh, so the script to the play Harry Potter and the Cursed Child is also slated for a release in print edition on the 31st of July, The Boy Wizard Himself's Birthday. 
To kick off today's special segment on time travel, we're going to go back in time to the Regency era, the time of Britain's most beloved romance novelist, Jane Austen. Every year in Canberra, there is a pretty spectacular event celebrating the great author called, of course, the Jane Austen Festival. And I was lucky enough to get invited along to the picnic and promenade, and it was incredible. The picnic and promenade was to be at the Senate Gardens at Old Parliament House. Now, these gardens are absolutely gorgeous. They're filled with hedges and rose bushes and beautiful lawns. You half expect to see the Queen of Hearts playing croquet with cards and flamingos. I arrived on time, but there wasn't really anybody there. Nobody who looked like they'd stepped out of Pride and Prejudice, at any rate. I brought the blue tartan picnic blanket and matching picnic basket my grandma had given me a while back, but I was just dressed in weekend clothes, for lack of a more appropriate wardrobe. I strolled around, trying to see if I could see anyone who looked like they were part of the festival. And after a little while, I caught a glimpse of a blue bonnet, which quickly disappeared behind the hedge. I walked outside the gardens and then saw a very dapper man channeling Mr. Darcy himself, but soon he was lost amongst the rose bushes. Curiouser and curiouser. I was starting to feel like Alice chasing extremely well-dressed rabbits. I tried the gardens on the other side of Old Parliament House and found a wedding, but no festival. I checked my pocket watch, or uh, I, I mean my phone, and it was quite a while after the designated time. I thought, look, I'll, I'll give the Senate Gardens one more go, and if nobody's there, I'll call it a day. Well, by the time I walked through the gates between the hedges, I was in for a treat. The gardens were filled with the most incredible costumes, people of all ages, all colours, and even gen- all genders. I was so impressed by the authenticity of the costumes and the diversity of the participants. I set up my little picnic blanket a little way away so I could take photos and write notes, and after the participants themselves had finished their own picnics, they started playing the most delightful games. So one of these was called Graces, which involves two sticks, not unlike drumsticks, and a small wooden hoop. Each player has two sticks. The sticks are crossed, and the hoop is placed over the top of them. And then when you pull the sticks apart, the hoop flies away in the direction of your desire. And all the hoops were decorated with gorgeous ribbons, and it was so pretty to watch. And watch I did until one of the beautifully dressed girls invited me to play. I was so self-conscious because I wasn't dressed up even slightly, but they were so welcoming and kind, and I had a great time. The festival goers were so inclusive and so accepting, and not just of each other, and they were a very diverse group, but also of me, some random girl not even in costume. I did manage to steal away, though, when they started taking photos of the group all together, but I got plenty of photos myself, and you can check them all out on the Facebook page for Tinted Edges. So, you cannot talk about time travel without talking about the future, and this past month, I only just became aware of the most incredible project, Future Library. Future Library is the brainchild of Scottish artist Katie Patterson. Commencing in 2014, Future Library is a 100-year project where one author every year will contribute a text to be held in trust and not published until 2114. The project is based in a forest outside Oslo in Norway where 1,000 trees have been planted and a printing press with instructions stored in case 100 years from now, people don't actually know how to make books anymore. 
The first order, the first author for the project was selected in 2014, and it is the wonderful Margaret Atwood, and her book, titled Scribbler Moon, has already been handed over. The second author to contribute a work is David Mitchell, and he'll be handing over his text on the 28th of May. So, although the text will be on display in Norway, they will remain secret and unpublished until 2114. The 2016 author will be announced later on this year. So, to me, this is such an exquisite project. I thought I would be a lot more resentful of all like these fantastic books that I never get to read, but honestly, I'm ju- I'm just not. The idea of a forest and a library locked away for a hundred years—it's such a tranquil thought, and it sounds almost like something out of a fairy tale. I would be absolutely delighted to go visit there one day, and just wander around the forest and read the titles of the books that have already been handed over. Also, this is a fantastic incentive for me to stay healthy and live to the grand old age of 126 years old. You can read more about the Future Library by checking out the link below in the show notes. So April was an even slower reading month for me than March was. And it was mostly taken up with book club books. I only managed to read about four books. It was pretty it was pretty disappointing. But anyway, I started out with Philip K. Dick's novel, The Man in the High Castle, which has recently been adapted into a TV series, and which was the April book for one of my book clubs. I haven't seen the series yet, and to be honest, my experience with Philip K. Dick has been limited to that Keanu Reeves film, A Scanner Darkly, which was fine, but I wasn't sure what to expe- expect. And I was really impressed. A modern day alternative history, The Man in the High Castle, is like a suggestion of what America would be like if the Axis had won the Second World War. The Japanese have become this neo-colonial power. They hold all the offices of influence and all the administrative roles. And Europe remains controlled by Germany. I found this book incredibly interesting and very clever. But it is a book that demands slow, considered reading, and you really, you've got to pay attention. It takes a long time, but it is worth it. So something else I've been trying to do this year is to read books by more diverse authors. And Cane River by Lolita Tademi is the first book by a person of color that I've read this year. It's a somewhat fictionalized account of a hundred years of four generations of her female ancestors who lived through slavery in Louisiana. It's a powerful and personal book, and I really enjoyed it. And then another highlight was the book for another one of my book clubs, Our Endless Numbered Days, the debut novel of Claire Fuller. I love the title of this novel because it reminds me of the Iron and Wine album of the same name, which was one of my favorite albums, and is kind of actually the perfect soundtrack to this book. The edition I bought of this is absolutely gorgeous, but completely belies what lurks within the pages. So you can check out some more detailed reviews on the Tinted Edges blog. So the last thing I want to chat about today on today's blog is my first experience of a blind date with a book. Essentially, a blind date with a book involves a bunch of books wrapped in brown paper at a bookstore with a couple of clues jotted on a label or a sticker. It's like a lucky dip or potluck. 
Anyway, I was down at the beach for the Anzac Day long weekend, and while we were stocking up on supplies in town, I had a bit of a sticky beak at the local ABC shop. They had this huge blind book display out the front, and after I had a bit of a rifle through, I picked up the most random looking one I could find that had something on the sticker about ostrich farming in Africa, and I don't even know. Anyway, I bought the book and took it back to our beach house before I unwrapped it. And when I did, I was surprised, but it wasn't a particularly happy surprise. I'd heard of the number one detective, uh, sorry, the number one ladies detective agency before, and I'd heard good things. So when I opened it up, that wasn't my issue. No, my issue was that the book inside was number four in the series, the Kalahari Typing School for Men. Now, Far be it from me to tell people how to do their job, but I feel like there should be at least some kind of vetting process to make sure people aren't stuck with random books from well-established series, and so which they you know they can't, they can't even read because they haven't read any of the previous books. It was such a bummer to open this book and be like, oh, I can't read this because I haven't read the first book yet, and I'm going to have to go out and buy three more books just so I can read this book. Ugh. Anyway, so I mulled on what I was going to do for a couple of days, and finally I decided to go back to the shop and ask if I could please exchange it for another. Now, I'm not going to lie, they were pretty cranky about it, but they did let me exchange it for another book of the exact same value, which was a whole $15. Anyway, so my first time on a blind date with a book was not the romantic experience that I was hoping for, but... I am considering maybe trying a different shop and seeing if I have a bit more luck next time. Alrighty, readers, that's it from me. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for our next episode in May.